Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'm the Compliance Evangelist, and I'd like to welcome you to this special five-part podcast series sponsored by Affiliated Monitors, which celebrates Affiliated Monitors' 15 years in business as the first entity specializing in independent integrity monitoring. Founded in 2004, Affiliated Monitors provides independent integrity monitoring and ethics and compliance assessments nationally and internationally and across almost all industries. With its knowledge of effective ethics and compliance programs and cultures, Affiliated Monitors is respected for its work as the corporate monitor on matters ranging from multinational corporations to small and mid-sized companies and even individuals. Having served in nearly 750 monitorships, no one has more experience as an independent monitor than the team at Affiliated Monitors. For more information on how an independent monitor can help improve your company's ethics and compliance programs, visit this podcast series sponsor, Affiliated Monitors, at www.affiliatedmonitors.com. In this five-part podcast series, I'm joined by Don Stern. Don is the Managing Director of Corporate Monitoring and Consulting Services at Affiliated Monitors. Don is a well-known white-collar corporate defense lawyer. He was previously the United States Attorney for the District of Massachusetts, has been a lecturer at Harvard, and has worked at several law firms before coming over to Affiliated Monitors. In this five-part podcast series, we consider the benefits of independent monitoring and proactive assessments for defense attorneys. In episode one, we take a look at how defense attorneys can proactively work with independent monitors. Two, what are the nuts and bolts? How does this thing work? Three, couple of case studies of defense counsel who've engaged a monitor to mitigate internal issues before going to a regulator. Number four, how this works in a medical setting. And in episode five, we conclude by how this works in the nonprofit setting, specifically looking at some issues around varsity blues. It's a fascinating series that I know you will enjoy as a compliance specialist. This special five-part series is a special presentation of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back again for another episode with Don Stern, Managing Director of Affiliated Monitors for Corporate Monitoring and Consulting Services. Don, uh, first of all, welcome back. Thanks very much, Tom. Good to be here. Don, uh, in this episode, I wanted to take a look, uh, 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 perhaps a little more into the weeds and the nuts and bolts of how this works and how to use the findings of a third-party independent. So uh, perhaps we could start with something that I would think is basic, yet I still get a a number of questions about the privilege. So could you explain how a defense attorney might engage someone like yourself and why at least starting off with the privilege is so critical? Well, often uh, both the company and, of course, the privilege belongs to the company, not to the lawyer, but the the company and the lawyer will like that the uh, assessment and the review, even if done by a third party uh, outside the company, be under attorney-client privilege. And that's really to give the company maximum information and flexibility to not have people be concerned about uh, the information flow uh, being in a position to make a decision whether to report a misstep to the government or not. Not not every problem uh, needs to be reported to the government. Not every problem does the government want to hear about. So uh, you, you get the ability to do that, and in, in some cases to protect that information, at least initially, 
uh, without worrying about being sued by private parties or class actions or securities cases and, and whatnot. You you get an unvarnished view of the facts by an outsider. It goes to the lawyer who can assess it and discuss it with his client, his or her client, and then make a decision. Do we need to report it? Should we report it? Um, how should it be reported? Um, so that's, you know, the, the privilege has certain examples, uh, certain advantages rather, uh, but it's not always done that way. I mean, sometimes companies prefer that it, that it, uh, particularly if it's in the middle of an ongoing investigation, sometimes they prefer to, to, to not go that route. So it's a decision made by uh, a lawyer, typically an outside lawyer, with, with, uh, after consultation with the client. So uh, in uh, the situations you've been involved with, what are some of the examples you've found? So uh, could, could it be as diverse as a rogue employee who is the cause of an issue or something uh, more systemic there where you have a breakdown of uh, internal controls? Well, that's really the, the usually the, the first goal is to figure out um, is kind of the source of the problem, what triggered the problem. And I should say, you know, Tom, that sometimes I think the, the misnomer is that all of these problems are, are sort of triggered by maybe a whistleblower or by a government subpoena or by a, an outside investigation. And that, in my experience, that's not always the case. Sometimes these days companies have very robust internal audit programs. And so often the problem will be picked up by their own internal audit, then the question is, okay, is this, we've picked up the problem. Uh, we have some outliers here. Uh, we, for example, see in the FCPA context, we maybe internal audit has picked up ex ex excessive expenses and payments to outside third parties in a particular country. Uh, maybe it's a country in the Baltic region, or maybe it's a, it's a, a country in Africa where the office seems to have excessive payments. So the question is, what do you do with that? And often, you know, will you be brought in uh, to look at the controls to make sure they're sufficient, but then also to, to sort of do a deep dive into that particular uh, risk area and then advise the company whether the controls are insufficient. Uh, is it a rogue employee or a rogue office? Sometimes you find there's a, there's a culture in a particular office where it's not just one employee, but there may be a, a group of employees who have created a, a culture which really runs counter to what the company wants and what the company has has taught in terms of, um, of compliance, uh, but it's there nonetheless, and it presents a major enterprise risk for the company. Don, how, uh, I, I guess this is kind of a multi-part question, but um, how does a company uh, take this information but what, what I want to really get at is the extraordinarily difficult decision on self-disclosure. How would they work with someone like yourself as truly an independent uh, in conjunction with defense counsel? And then, of course, the other stakeholders, board of directors uh, involved, uh, perhaps senior management in the always difficult decision to self-disclose or not. Well, I mean, in, in that situation, Tom, you know, what we do is because we, we're not wearing our lawyer's hat. We we really just provide information to the to the outside lawyer uh, to the company, and they, and they have to make a, the decision. But, you know, but I've been in that in that role, and um, it, it's complicated, and it may depend on on the industry that they're in. Obviously, in the defense industry, you know, uh, and, and the government contracting industry, 
um, or in, in the uh, Medicare or Medicaid world, I mean, you're almost inv- inevitably going to self-report. But who you report to, um, what you report, um, how it gets, if you will, packaged and, and presented to the regulator is, is all important. So what you, what you don't want is you don't want a reporting situation where you simply say, this is, this is the, the, the problem. You know, we're going to present it at your lab. Do with us whatever you want. You know, you want to be more proactive and, and present the problem, the fix, and in some cases, this is where we come in, in some cases, the ongoing effort to monitor the situation going forward. So you provide some level of confidence to the regulator that, again, the company gets it, has fixed it, and is prepared to be fully compliant going forward. Don, let me throw in one other factor that you touched on a little bit earlier, which is um, uh, that this information uh, could very likely uh, get out out outside the company. It could be through an internal whistleblower who then goes to the Securities and Exchange Commission. It could be a competitor. It could be the Department of Justice or other regulators investigating uh, someone within the industry and, and making perhaps not a routine request for documents, but one uh, that uh, their the company is not at least initially a target. So how do you really counsel or, or perhaps uh, uh, inform the discussion rather mm-hmm. about uh, how to remediate and fix the problem? Or is the situation now with the explosion of ways to get information out of a company so great that a company really needs to consider that as well? Well, it's a great it's a great question. Obviously, keeping uh, the, the the assessment and the review under the tent, so to speak, of, of attorney-client privilege helps. But you know, in this day and age, with social media and whistleblowers and um, the like, it, it's it's hard to keep too many secrets, you know, in, in any environment. So I, I I think the best advice is is not to put your head in the sand and to sort of think we can we can kind of keep this quiet and it'll stay within the company it just doesn't work that way any anymore in most cases so um you know it, being uh, aggressively proactive and proactive in fixing your problems i think is is the way to go and i think being as tramp, transparent as possible within that particular company's environment having in mind there are some litigation risk uh, in in all cases but but um, fixing identifying and fixing the problems not only builds confidence internally within the company that they are working for a company that cares about compliance but providing um, assurance to the outside world shareholders the media uh, government regulators that that you are identifying your problems and fixing them yourself is I think the way to go I mean the the old days where you can sort of put your head down and hope for the best uh, is, is not very productive. And, and by the way, one of the ways in which companies can become proactive is when they read about other companies' problems in similar areas. You know, if you're a bank and you read that Wells Fargo is, is having a, a problem with its, uh, you know, false accounts and compensation structure, which seem to be uh, at odds with, with uh, good practices, uh, I think you know you owe it to your shareholders and to your board to at least ask yourself the question: um, What about us? Is this is this something that we should take a look at? Um, and, and I know in, in in the following segments we're going to talk about some examples of of that where um, companies do that. 
So, Don, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time uh, for this episode, but I hope you'll join Don and I tomorrow where we take a look at uh, some case studies in this area. So, Don, I look forward to continuing the conversation. Great. Thanks, Don. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I hope you enjoyed this episode of my visit with Don Stearns on the benefits of independent monitoring and proactive assessments for defense attorneys. If you'd like more information on affiliated monitors, please check out their website, www.affiliatedmonitors.com. This five-part podcast series is a special presentation of the Compliance Podcast Network. Thank you again, and I hope you'll join us for another episode. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.